now we're going to kickstart a new series called uh, The Missioner Baton. Uh, it's a mouthful because uh, it takes quite a fair bit to cover first week, okay? Uh, someone once commented, he says, Pastor, the way you, you pack a content, you preach one week, I can do three weeks of sermon. Uh, it was one of my pastor's friends who actually said that. Maybe because not enough brain, so just pack everything, looks congested, okay? But Mission of Baton has kind of a two goal in mind. First of all, I wanted to take church history and do it on a Sunday pulpit. Uh, typically, you go to any church, uh, church history is dealt on a class. But I thought it was necessary for me to walk through the whole church as much as we can. Snippets of church history so that, so that you appreciate what has happened in the past. And the way I think is not only you appreciate what happened in the past, it helps you to advance forward to what's in the future. So if I can say it a better way, uh, we learn from the past, we leave the present, and we lead towards the future. That's the reason you do church history. From a leadership point of view, if there's anything that has helped me as a pastor to gain the biggest and widest perspective about anything in Christianity is church history. So you throw in any subject. If you say, Pastor, what about worship? Then, Pastor, I like the quiet type. I like the hymn type. I like the hill song type. I like, you know, all that different type. Once you work through the church history of worship, it gives you a very grand deal and the different generational and sound and perspective about worship. And there's nothing to compete about. So some people will say, oh, today's worship is horrible, right? Because they just sing one verse, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, the next generation song, right? And then, and Pastor, there's no theology in it, you know? And then, and then you've got some people where it's so packed with, on the hill, far away is the cross, you know? And then you say, so much theology, there's him, and you know? But once you understand history, you appreciate a little bit of the different sound of different generations. You throw in a word called deliverance. There's a huge historical of the quiet type, the dramatic type, or the traumatic type. Uh, the one that you have to cough it out. Uh, the one that you... <laughs> so many. But once you understand church history, with the lens of looking through historically how different leaders, through different dealings of God, did deliverance, you appreciate the, the varieties, the whiteness, and you will not be so particular. You will not say, say, this is the way to do it. You will not. So one thing that has really helped me in my leadership and the perspective that I think I bring to the table is really church history, which is why I love church history. So if you, if you can navigate through that space, in the global scale, AD 30, when Jesus resurrected, Till AD 2023 today. Almost 2,000 solid years of history. Zoom it down to Malaysia, 60 over years of independence. Very short, 60 years of church history. Malaysia potentially comes through the full cycle of what we call the first generation of church history in Malaysia context. You have all the big mega churches passing on the baton. You used to have that as well, but the churches was never of a certain size like today. So when you look through that spectrum, it's fascinating because you've seen the American version, a couple of hundred years of church history, and you see what's happening in Malaysia. So for me, church history is always fascinating. Now, 
When you look at church history, there are many lenses. You can take a doctrinal lens. That means I'm trying to walk through, uh, step through church history and trying to find the development of doctrine. When did heresy comes in? Why this kind of heresy? Why the, 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 the nature of Christ? Why the Council of Nicaea or the Chalcedon and all that thing? Why does it matter so much? And then you work through till today the, the development of the theological world. You can look through that lens. You can look through the lens of the shaping of a church, how church is being run. Why did we end up today having to do announcement, uh, praise and worship announcement, word? Why, why can't we do word first? Of course, because a lot of people haven't arrived at church. I'm just kidding, okay? Um, no, that's a joke, that's a joke, that's a joke, okay? Uh, and then, why do we practice this, this pattern? Was it a synagogue pattern? Uh, yes, no. So when you work through church history, there are just so many things to glean, to think through, to ponder. But we're not going to do all of that. We're going to look through church history through the lens of mission. That's why it's called the missional baton. We wanted to see from church history, how did the gospel grow? And how can that propel me to move forward? And I call it the baton passing because why? For 2,000 years, there has been a consistent missionary baton being passed. The gospel passed on since the apostolic days, since James, Peter, John, and passed on the baton. And it wasn't as intentional initially. It was just very accidental. Maybe it was just everybody was excited before structure comes in and change of political and Constantine got saved. And then uh, the church took a major shape, uh, shape and shape it in such a way that introduced imperial church. And eventually we come to what we call the dark ages of the church where some of the most shameful things happened about the church. When church was being persecuted, everything was act out of love. The lens that looked through everything was what love would want us to do. But when church was empowered by the imperial, that means the government that supported the church, the church now looked through, what should we do with the power given unto me? And that corrupted the whole church. You don't like me, you don't follow me, I punish you. Because power play comes to play. Changed the church dramatically. But the gospel went on. How? And baton passing is huge. All of you who are runner, I, I don't run. I run away from running. And uh, my dad used to be an athletic teacher and he will, he will coach people passing on the baton and I'll, I'll see him every time at where they'll, they'll practice the baton and then they'll, they'll hop and then quickly pass on the baton, right? I mean, so that the baton passing, so my goal is helping us to appreciate history, that we are able to learn, able to live the present, but we are able to lead towards the future. That is why we do a series called The Missional Baton. Now, we're going to cover the early church. I'll qualify, okay? So I talk a little bit about uh, why the series. I like this little phrase, which you read together. We are a part of history, okay? Everybody know that history. Now, this is going to be the breakdown very quickly. We're going to work through week one, the early church, 30 to 580. Let me make a simple qualification. No historian or commoners will ever say early church is 30 to 500 because that's wrong. But because we are doing four weeks, we squeeze it into that. Typically, people will say 80, 30 to about 300, 312, 313, 362, 326, depending on which one you want to date the shift from early church to the imperial church, okay? It depends on the shift. But because of time, 
we decide to lump it all under early church. So please never go out and say, my pastor said uh, 30 to 500 is the early church. Please don't, and then please don't say that you're every nation. Just say that you're everyone. Uh, okay. But uh, so 80 to 300 is really the early church. And then somewhere about 300 to about 500, towards the end of 590 or so, a lot of people felt those were what we call the imperial church before we move into the medieval church, where's where the crusaders and the whole thing all came along. All right. Now, so, so we're going to go through early church, medieval church, early Protestant church. Some people call it the Reformation, uh, but we prefer to call it the early Protestant church. And then we will walk through a little bit about the modern church and we have all slightly different emphases as we walk through them. So first week, I'm going to do what we call the Jewish diaspora, which I'll come to explain it shortly because that was how the missioner baton was being passed on. All right, now let me just kind of bring all of us to the first week of the message. The anchoring verse for this series is Acts 12.24, which you read together. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The word but was trying to connect John, uh, sorry, book of Acts 12, verse 1 to 23. So if you go back, read Acts 12, it was very interesting. You know why? Because Acts 12 is at the eve of Acts 13. Acts 13 is when Paul took what we call the missionary journeys. Acts 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, he took what we call the missionary journey, three missionary journey, and he took the gospel towards the west part of Israel. All the way eventually, Acts 28, he went to as far as Rome. The Bible author Luke captured the development of the church and the gospel towards the west powerfully. We all knew that. The word but was trying to tell us in Acts 12, 1 to 23, 23, three events happened. First of all, uh, Peter and James were caught in prison. James were beheaded, very tragic story. Peter had a supernatural encounter, was released from prison in the most miraculous manner. And it ends with King Herod, full of power and full of himself, stood in stadium and proclaimed that he is the greatest king. And the Bible told us that God struck him. In the midst of three different, very pull-apart incidents, the death of James, one of the apostles, and then the supernatural release of Peter, that itself is a paradox. That itself is Peter coming out from the prison, go back to Mrs. James and said, uh, we were both caught, yeah. And, but, but yeah, here, yeah, where's James? Uh, James was killed. What? Can you imagine the devotion that Mrs. James has to do? She has to go before God and says, God, doesn't make sense. You release Peter, but you, kill, you allow James to be killed. You know, sometimes in the midst of living life, and the more you grow, the more paradoxes that you've got to deal with, the more you could not understand why certain things happen to good people. Why, why my child fell sick? Why did my best friend who so loved God pass away? I, I cannot understand the paradoxes. Yet in the midst of it, we have miracle story of people getting healed, deliverance, just exactly, just exactly like what X12. And then you got someone who bizarrely, who proclaimed they are powerful and God struck them and he died a horrific death. 
And then it ends with that particular passage with, with the word, but the word continued to grow and flower. It, it kind of tells you that that's the nature of gospel as we travel life and gospel together. There will be glimpses of life that we can't put our hands together. We, we can't piece it together. But if we were to trust God, it coexists. The gospel will always flourish and spread. The question is, as we go through the paradoxes of life, as we go through the midst of don't understand, seeing miracle, bizarre thing, are we people who helps to spread the gospel? And this is the story of the early church. We're going to go through a couple of maps. This is just an estimate. So, when you say 30 AD, it means 30 AD, 30, 40 AD, you know, it's just, just a picture. But you will know that when Jesus Christ resurrected and went to heaven, the gospel only exists really in Israel. That's where it started, okay? And uh, Paul took some missionary journey somewhere about AD 40-something, 40-something, and uh, he... 40, 50, he took the gospel. Eventually, the gospel was only in, this is Asia Minor, this is our Ephesus and all of them there, okay? That's where really the gospel started. In the early days, the greatest happening was the gospel was spreading so fast because everywhere people go, they only tell one script and the script wasn't about blessed is a man who trusts in God. No, 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 the script was, ah, you know, Jesus died. Yeah, yeah, we heard about it. You know, he resurrected, really? I met him, I saw him, hundreds of witnesses. And he died, he rose again, he is God. I give my life, would you? I give my life to Jesus. So that's how it grew and grew and grew and grew. So there was this widespread of Christianity all over. In the midst of that, persecution started to rise. Uh, Nero, the empire, somewhere in the AD 60, uh, was the one that inflicted lots of persecution. So the book of Acts talks about the first martyr, which is Stephen. And eventually, there were more and more martyrs. All the apostles, mainly except John, was killed before AD 70 in the midst of the rising persecution. Peter crucified upside down, Paul beheaded. They were all just about two, three years apart. And many other apostles by then. Uh, so by then, there were not so much of heresies. It was just growth and persecution. Lots of New Testament writing. All the letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, somewhere 80, 40, 40 plus, 50, 60s, were all being spread and written and sent to different churches because faith was growing and people wanted to know what, what should we follow, read this letter, in the midst of all of that. Now, somewhere in AD 70, uh, something happened, which is the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem, which is a big thing, especially for the Judaizer or people who believe in Judaism. Why? Because it's a very temple-centric kind of a belief system. I'll come back to that a little bit shortly later, okay? But in AD 70, you will see that the gospel has spread quite a fair bit. You see, you see some colors of white because in AD 70, Paul had actually gone to Rome and eventually he took the gospel even potentially to Spain and all the other places. And nobody exactly know, but the gospel began to spread. And you will see that the gospel was spread very much towards the east, which we never talk about, which the Bible never captured. By the way, all these are eventually still a Roman Empire in a way. Maybe some of them were a little bit of Babylonian, Persian, you know, all that. But majority was Roman Empire. And so what happened was, as the gospel grew and grew, let me just jump a bit forward. 
the West and the East, because of linguistic thinking, uh, political power, they begin to slowly move, which introduced the concept of the schism of the East and the West. All right, if you ever understood. But it started from 300. Eventually, you came to 1,000, It's called the Great Schism, where the Catholic world and the Eastern Orthodox decided we are different. We split. So it all started with three, 400, where there's differences of thinking. So the schism, the crack has already been there. Now, so we today don't know a lot about Eastern Orthodox because we are, we are very much uh, affected not the Catholic, some of you are, but the Protestant. So in today's Christianity overall, is really represented by the Catholic, their thinking, the Protestant, which is really because of 1500, we'll come to that two weeks from now, in a movement called the Reformation, Martin Luther, which eventually grew a lot of believers and denomination, you know, all of that. And then you got the Eastern Orthodox, which also are reflected in different, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, and different Orthodoxes, okay? Now, so today Christianity is all three combined. It's, it's like that. Uh, are there attempts to bring all three together? There's always little, little things and events that tries to help. Are they all very different? Not really, not really. In its strictest way, okay, all beliefs in the Apostle Creed, all believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But when it comes to practices, there are variances of practices, okay? Now, I won't be able to do all of that, but if you want to ask questions for dialogue, uh, more than happy to uh, do my best. But if time doesn't allow, then the dialogue will die. All right, okay, so AD 70. Now, what happened? Because of the destruction of Jerusalem, persecution arises, Christian was consistently spread all over. Nero potentially became what we call the small scale of what we term it as the imperial persecution, though it wasn't as imperial as event. Imperial simply means that from now onward, the government decide that, say that, hey, you know what, all over Roman Empire, and the biggest, the biggest practitioner come actually late 200. That was the massive, most incredible Diocletian under the emperor, where it gives the most massive imperial persecution, where if you're a Christian and you are the neighbor and you found out that your neighbor is a Christian and he practiced Christianity, you can actually go and report them and you actually get great points. It will top up in your great points because now you get reward for reporting that your neighbor is a Christian. So Christians were running everywhere, was trying to survive underground, nobody know who they are, all that is happening. Until the year 311, 12, 13. 312 was the year where Constantine, which is the co-emperor with Marxist, which is his brother-in-law, and they had a massive conflict and had a massive war, which eventually Constantine won the war because of a dream of a logo that he puts on the shield and the T-shirt, or not the T-shirt, the armor of the soldier, and they won the war. And he credited to God who helped him, and he became a Christian, so to speak. So he then come up with called the Edict of Milan, which actually tells them, the tolerance Christians, that today we no longer catch Christians. Christians can coexist. 
eventually the next emperor came along and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. That is under 365 or something like that. When that happened, all of a sudden, I used to be people who are chased by my neighbor who reported me about a Christian. Now, when you become a Christian, you get benefit. So everybody wants to become Christian. So when you become a Christian, you get, you get brownie points. Now you get grad points. You get tax exemption. You, we are in Malaysia. We understand that context. You know what I'm saying? You buy houses with a different discount. You got priority. So now everybody wants to become Christian. So that is when we introduce what we call from the early church, full of persecution, full of challenges, now it's full of benefits. We then move into what we call the imperial church. Somewhere about AD 300, starting all the way until about AD 500 over is the imperial church. Because of the imperial church, now all of a sudden, the church gets institutionalized. Power, structure, money was involved. The church starts to be corrupted. And people start to be greedy. And that's where you get some of the most shameful things. And for the next 500 to 1,500, some of the most shameful things that happens, and it's called the dark ages of the church. You get a feel of the church now. What was also very interesting was somewhere around 120 AD is what we call the rise of heresy. So in the early days was a lot of letters writing, New Testament or whatever. Somewhere around 120, heresies began to happen. So they said, hey, now uh, we need to canonize the Bible lah, because how, how do we know what is true? Because everybody writes letters. So the church leaders began to come together and that started what we call the council. So there were many, many councils that happened. So you got, you got Acts, you know, 16, 15, talk about the council of Jerusalem and Evangel eventually the council of Nicene, the Chalcedon, Ephesus. You got tons and tons of councils that really come together. And every time they come together, they try to deal with the different challenges, the canonization of the But In a nutshell, in the first hundred years, the Old Testament already canonized. That means that this is agreed, the 39 books. The journey of the 27 books of the New Testament was a bit longer, especially one or two books that really delayed. But somewhere around 300 over, that's when everything was finalized. This is the Bible that you and I have today. So you got the council, you got all those things. Now, when you study church history, at least the first two, three hundred years of church history, one of the challenges was because you have very limited archaeological readings and also because it was so long ago. Uh, but when you move on to church history, the medieval and then eventually the Reformation, all those, you have a lot more records and information to piece the whole thing together. Now, in a nutshell, all I wanted to say is this. The key themes in the early church was really, number one, the church fathers. The church fathers go something like this. I didn't get to mention, but the church fathers really appear a lot was during the first and second century. Why? Okay, so if you understand church fathers, from AD 30 to 500, they were all considered the church fathers. There were many, many, many layers. Generally, people will categorize them according to the apostolic fathers. Who are the apostolic fathers? Apostolic fathers are those disciples of the apostle. 
That means they get to sit under John and Peter and all of them. So who are the, who are the more popular names? People like Polycarp? Uh, people like Ignatius, people like Clement of Rome, who eventually became the Bishop of Rome. Uh, they were all very important figures. They were called the Apostolic Fathers, people like Linus and all of that. It was Polycarp who eventually, when he was at the end of uh, uh, somewhere about maybe slightly above 100, when he was uh, going to be crucified, not crucified, sorry, burned to death, and he was asked the question, would you deny Christ? And then he made one of the most famous, one of the martyr, most famous statements. He says, for 86 years, I've served God, and God has not been unfaithful to me. Why would I choose to be unfaithful to Him? And that was his last word. And that was Polycarp, a direct disciple of John. And so they were called the, the, the apostolic fathers. Then you got what we call the pre-Nicene church fathers, which is uh, 325, you know, and the Council of Nicene was Constantine, who now, who now become very powerful, and the emperor, he won the war, became a Christian, called for a council, and wanted to sort out who really Jesus is, okay, to get everybody, and it's called the Council of Nicene. Then you've got the pre-Nicene fathers and the post-Nicene fathers. Now, I know there's a lot of information. You are going, oh gosh, I can't even follow. Don't worry, okay, just stay there. What happened also, the canonization of the Bible, I talked through that, external persecution, some massive imperial persecution, I think historically altogether, it's about 11 to 12 of them. And then you've got the internal heresies that do, and all the council that come together. And also the formation of the early church, which is very pure, very following Jesus. Everything was driven out of love. Persecution was, was on the rise, and eventually love was taken over by power. That starts the corruption of the church. Alright, hopefully that's good enough. Now, let me give the next 10 minutes if I can, or 12, okay, and then we'll do a little bit of dialogue. Missional movement, the focus, Jewish diaspora. The word diaspora simply means that whenever there's a group of people in the same tribe, same race, move to another place together and they come together and still try to live out uh, their identity together, that is called a diaspora. So a diaspora today will be like a Filipino diaspora is everywhere. You find Filipinos in different, different parts of the world. Uh, we went to Melbourne. We went to Melbourne. We saw more Asian than white Australian. Uh, so there's a lot of China diaspora. There's a lot of Malaysian diaspora there. You go to, uh, I think, was it the southern part of Melbourne, I think, or the, or the eastern part? I think it's the east part of Melbourne. There's just a lot of Malaysian there. Uh, you see Malaysian everywhere, right? So that is what we call a diaspora. The first missional movement was because of what we call the Jewish diaspora. So just kind of track along with me, okay? So when the Jews, first of all, they were in Jerusalem, they were in Israel, Judea. When the Assyrian attack, which is 700 BC, and then the Babylonian 500 BC, they were dispersed. When they dispersed, they dispersed all over the world, at least the known world. And eventually, they were all over in the Roman Empire as persecution. And as they grow, they begin to develop their family. Then they will have relatives who are still in Jerusalem. Then they will contact, just like today, just like today. That how many of you have relatives in Australia? So few? Nah, there's more than that. Okay, how many of us have, have a relative in UK? Right, you know, all the hands up, right? You can, right? And, then, and then what happened? Then, oh, you know, can my daughter go to study there? Can, can, can go there? And then your, your daughter study there and then meet someone there, you know, and then they, they get married and then at some point you go there and then they come back here. So there's trading and then some of you went to Australia, you felt that this, the air of Australia is very nice. Can I 
take back as your Australia Air and try to sell it here, and then, which is not true, okay? But you know what I'm saying? And then you start trading business, you know, all of that. So you have transactions. So the, the whole thing really happens because of Jewish diaspora. So Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost happened, uh, which is, this is the picture, okay? Now, so the day of Pentecost happens in Jerusalem. So the Bible captured all these people. They were basically Jewish descendants. But because of diaspora, hundreds of years of diaspora, they were everywhere, part of the other part of the world. And in Jewish practice, Judaism, they got this practice where three years, sorry, three times in a year, they'll come back, especially the day of Pentecost, the Passover and Pentecost were two important festivals. They'll gather at Jerusalem because they are very temple-centric belief system. They must gather at the temple to worship God. That's the way they celebrate their festival. So now, what was interesting was all these people, because they stayed here for long, and if you study history, when Greek took over from Persia, who ruled, Greek introduced language. Everybody spoke Greek. When Rome took over from Greek, they introduced a very secure travel system, RFID. So you can travel roads from Rome, anywhere from Rome Empire, you can travel and it's safe. It's not bandit that will catch you or whatever. So people will then all come back. But all these people, no matter where you are, you take on what we call a bi-culture, a dual culture. You know why? Because I'm, I'm Chinese and then, I, then I'm in Malaysia. So now I'm, I'm, I'm Malaysian Chinese. So I, I take on nasi kanda, nasi lemma, and then, and then, you know, pak samkai. Right? I then have a dual culture. I speak dual language. So, so all these people will then have a bit of Jewish language, maybe a bit of Greek because Greek has, everybody spoke Greek by then. And then according to where I am, I got their dialect a little bit. So everybody comes with like that. So they were not purely, purely Jews, but it was very, very mixed. But that's the result of diaspora, which is why they say that all these people came and they hear them speak in their own tongues, the mighty work of God, depending on where they grew up from. If I'm having a day of Pentecost here, which is hundreds of years, some of the Malaysian who went to, oh, to, to Melbourne, they already Australian accent. And then all of a sudden, day of Pentecost, they meet someone who speaks Australian accent and be like, wow, how did you, how, how did you, wow, that's amazing, right? That, so that's what happened. Are you with me? Okay, now, so what happened was, this is another diagram to show you the diaspora has just gone all over the world, the movement of the Jewish people. Uh, but I want to string it down to the five layers of cultural closeness, which means what I'm trying to say here is this. When you think through about the people, Peter and James and John, they were the pure, pure Jews. They were what we call the Hebrewic Jews because they spoke Hebrew. Maybe their Greek language wasn't very good because they grew in a Jewish background, which is why eventually Peter, all of them, they have people who write for them because, I don't know, I don't think they're very educated, okay? Then you've got the Hellenists. Hellenists are Jewish people which embrace a very Greek culture. They are the Hellenists. So these are the people who could be your cousin, your friend who stays out there. And I want to show that, and then you've got the proselyte, are people who converts. It was all these people. And then the fourth layer is God-fearers. So for example, Acts 10, talk about Cornelius, someone who feared God. 
He belongs to that category of people. So the first layer of missional baton, it was all these layers of people who had a concept of God, who may not fully understand who God is, but it is in that way, the pathway, the gospel began to spread to different one of them. Okay, now, because of time, I have no time to talk about Acts 8, which is a story of the Ethiopian, and he potentially has to be someone who is Hellenist, uh, maybe a bit of a God-theorer, because he was reading the book of Isaiah, when Philip jogging next to him, he says, do you understand what you read? He says, you don't understand. He hop on, and then got him saved, and then got him baptized. And that's how the gospel spread. And eventually, this eunuch took the gospel all the way to Ethiopia. Okay? Uh, then you got Paul who went to Corinth, and then he met someone called uh, Aquila and Priscilla. I want you to see this. Huh? They are a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius the emperor had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, remember Pontus and Rome. So if you go back to the map, you know where is, where is Pontus or not? Pontus is here. But they were working in Rome. And then came the emperor Claudius said, every Christian get out from this place. They moved to Corinth. And it was somewhere in Corinth where they eventually, somewhere here, Corinth, that's when eventually they met up with Paul. Can, can you see the movement? That's how the gospel actually spread. Now, what we are trying to say in a nutshell, as I bring all this to a close, was this, okay, in a nutshell. So forget some of this scripture, was all trying to say the same thing by different lens. The lessons of missioner baton of Jewish diaspora is this. Okay, would you say together, ordinary people, daily routines, natural relationship, spreading the word. It was just, it was just people, ordinary people. The first, the first move of God wasn't as, ho oh, oh, this famous pastor. No, no, no. It was just ordinary people who then had their daily routine. Uh, who say, hey, you know what? It's time of the year. Let me go to Jerusalem. I need to do my duty to pay God, uh, you know, the, the temple of visit and worship God there. And then, and then they went. And then the natural relationship. As they go, they meet up with someone, uh, their uncle, their aunties, you know, as they go. And then in the midst of all that, the word was being spread. Now, which is why we coy. Oh, before I give you the statement, let me ask you this, okay? How many of you felt like you're ordinary people? Wow, I didn't know so many of you felt you're extraordinary. <laughs> you are ordinary, okay? In Chinese, you're So this morning, I said, you're You're not cartoon, okay? You're cartoon, okay? So, most of us are. Now, how many of you have your daily routines? Right, if you're a housewife, you have a daily routine. I wake up in the morning, brush your teeth, go to the market, right? You have your daily, right? If you're a working corporate, you have your daily routine. How many of you have natural relationship? Right, all of us have uncle, auntie, friend, neighbors, you know. How many of you spread the word? Now, potentially, not everybody can lift up their hand. So when I think about this, I think about uh, dialogue. Three more minutes, we'll start dialogue. Okay, let me do my best. I think about... I think about Donna. Donna, 20 years ago, was a China student who came to Lim Kok Wing to study. And uh, she came, absolutely no concept of God. Someone invited her to church. She became a Christian. When she became a Christian, she went back home. 
and then she, she, she was ordinary people. Her daily routines, holiday, she goes back home. Natural relationship, she took the gospel to the parents. She said, Dad, Mom, I became a Christian. Dad, Mom was laughing and mocking at her. One day, the dad fell. How did I know the story? I met the dad personally, stayed with the dad and mom for a couple of days and baptized a whole bunch of medical doctors. This was like 20 years ago. Long story short, the dad one day had sprained his leg and he knew as a medical doctor, it takes him about a month or more to heal. The, doctor, the daughter prayed for her, prayed for him, and he was healed less than a week. He turned, now don't ask me why God didn't heal him the next day. Don't ask me questions like that, okay? <laughs> ask Sufi, okay? And, and, and then, so she said, wow, your God is real. I encounter, he's a medical doctor. Nine doctors founded that hospital. He was one of them. And um, intrigued him about wanting to know more about God. Long story short, he got saved. The, the mom got saved or the wife got saved. Eventually, many other medical doctors got saved. When they got saved, it was Moses, who is our pastor in China now, who actually came to Malaysia, doesn't know God, in his ordinary people, daily, routine, natural relationship, which is a cousin of Pastor Eric. He came to Malaysia, he got saved, Renchu became a good friend of ours. He came to me, Pastor, I think I need to go back to China because I cannot disciple him over internet. This is days before Zoom. So he then went back and planted a church in Fuzhou and planted a church in that particular hospital. It's a, it's a church in a hospital. It was funny, okay? When he went there, then a couple of months later, I, I went there to do the first water baptism, which is a whole bunch of them. While all that's happening, Donna graduated. She went to US and then met someone and uh, eventually caught by God, became a pastor, came back, planted a church. The church was growing, growing and thriving until a couple of years ago, China government clamped down, was trying to chase after them, trying to imprison them. That's where Donna and the husband was managed to escape and right now they are planting a church in Australia. But the whole story of how did the gospel enter into that particular parts of the world was simply because everybody in their ordinary daily, routine, natural relationship, spread the word. You heard the story of Paul. Paul was cheated by agent. He's a, he's a foreign laborer who knocked on Pastor Sean's door about 10 years ago and says, I'm cheated, I don't know what to do. Pastor Sean called me, he says, I've got a foreign worker here. He was cheated by agent. Could you help? I met up with Paul. I created a space for Paul to work for Assam House. And I still remember Paul came to me and says, you know, I would, I would like to go to church. I said, all right, Paul, I'll make possible for you. So he comes to church every Sunday morning before he goes back to work, which is always hard to handle because you've got all the other feral foreign laborers, you know. But anyway, I work it out, everything possible for him. And somewhere about one year down to after he worked for me, he thanked me, he came to me, he says, Pastor, I want to be like you. And, and he says, uh, I, I want to go back in Pakistan and plant a church. And I, and I thought he, he said that just to please me so that I give him a better ang pao. I don't know, but he went back to Pakistan and one day he sent me pictures. He says, Pastor, this is the church that I planted. And the church still exists today. So when you think about it, when you think about all this, they were just ordinary people, which is you and me. Going through your daily routine, just like you and me. Uh, I play my badminton. I meet friends in badminton. I try to invite some of them to our church. Uh, what do you do? You play futsal. You, you invite your futsal friend. 
uh, we, we got a whole, we got APT, we're going to see, I don't know, a dozen or more of them water baptized very soon. And they were all hairstylists. Maybe we should do our water baptism differently with hairstylists, kind of a water baptism. After water baptism, hairstylists help you to redo your hair. The post-water baptism, the Obey hairstyle, all right, man. What a, what a brand name, okay? I don't know. But, and they were just in their daily routine. If you're a medical doctor, you go to the medical doctor world. You're a businessman, entrepreneur. You go to your entrepreneur world in your daily routine, in your natural relationship. And then you just spread the word. It's as simple as that. Now, would you read the last statement together? God uses ordinary people going through daily routines in their natural relationship. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. And then, while we are praying, could you have the table up, whatever, okay? We're going to do dialogue, okay? With whatever time that we have. Now, but this I want you to do, okay? Please don't leave. Please don't leave yet, okay? Would you pray this prayer with me? Now, this I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about your daily routine. I want you to think about the same, the same coffee shop that you go to every morning. Eat the same toast and half boy egg. The same auntie that prepared that for you. The same office space that you walk in every day that you might see two other colleagues of yours that comes very early every morning because of traffic jam. But maybe you have never really extended. You come and you do coffee, you sit your own space. You just never develop that relationship. I want you to go through your daily routine. And then I want you to tell God, God, help me to be people who spread your love to people around me. That's all. Nothing more complicated because that's how the gospel was first started. Ordinary people, daily routine, natural relationship, spread the word. Lord, I come before you. I pray. Hundreds of us standing together. Lord, we are trying to say, God, the, the gospel wasn't complicated. It was just my everyday life, doing my thing, enjoying the lifestyle, connecting with people. But as we continue to do that, there's someone that we can touch. There's someone that we can encourage. There's someone that we can love. That's how the gospel spread. Help us to live like that, think like that, and be that. In Jesus' name. Rest and pray. Amen. All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the man. <laughs>